Welcome back to another episode. Today I have my friend, my brother, Charles. How you doing, Charles? Superb. 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 Charles is a little nervous because today, you know, uh, I finally caught him. <laughs> He's been ducking and weaving. He's, uh, but tonight he wants to share his story. Um, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Now, you are originally from the East Coast, right? Yep, Cambridge, well, Cambridge, Mass. And you grew up there in the uh, 50s and 60s, is that what it is? I was born in the uh, mid-40s and, yeah, so 50s, 60s through high school. And how long have you been in California? Since 90, January of, 90, of 98. Wow, that's a long time. It's what made you move? The job asked me to come out here mm. and... Uh, my ex had brought my daughter out here uh, a couple of years prior, so I really believe it was God orchestrated that I could be around my daughter. At that time, she was in the fourth fourth grade, I think. But yeah, fourth grade by then. What was life growing up in the East Coast in that era of the 50s and 60s for you? You know, coming out of Cambridge, it's it, it called the University City, the Republic of Cambridge. Um, it was real interesting, and a, a, a very diverse city, a lot of ethnicities, um, a lot of educated people, uh, certainly economic differences in terms of wealth. Uh, uh, some of the old families that we used to hear about in, mm. in, in, in our history books were out of there. Yeah. You know, uh, they had some of the poets like Longfellow, and not in my era, but right, I mean the right, Holmes, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and uh, you know there was the Revolutionary War, and uh, the cannons were out, and it was just an interesting time. Um, I grew up in the part of Cambridge that had an enclave of black families. There was another area of Cambridge that, that had an enclave, and. Uh, Cambridge was one of the first cities that had uh, public housing built, hmm. and uh, I didn't realize that until fairly recently, and the implications of that, and the things that that created, and why it was created, right? Um, which the, you know was a little cause for stoking some more anger and yeah. and, oh, yeah. and distrust, right? Um, but it was again great city. I'm I'm still friends with men and women that I went to grammar school with, mm. of all races yeah. or all ethnicities. I go say cause we're a human race, but all ethnicities, all different uh, uh, parts of the world. Um, now, how did that affect your childhood as a you know growing up and and not understanding what that was at that time? Um, you know, looking back. It, it, it really did have a, a, a big impact. My a grandfather came out of the Carolinas, uh, North Carolina, so obviously there was the segregation and stuff going on there that was evident in ways that it wasn't evident up in New England. Um, in New England, it was much more subtle, and I think most people, or many people, have heard about <clears throat> the the racial climate in and around the Boston area. Yeah. And um, my dad, uh, you know, served in, in the military during World War II. And a lot of the 
men of color who volunteered to go into the service at that time were allowed to be cooks, mm. but weren't allowed to fight initially. Which was big back in the day. That was huge. And then when stuff, the, the, the war started not going the way the, the country wanted it, it was like, oh, okay, let's bring these guys in. Right. Um, and so they came in, but they could not, and my dad, he turned into an officer, um, but they could not command white troops. Wow. And they had to have white commanders. And I had done a bunch of research on that and uh, seen uh, how, how some of those commanders really wanted people to fail. Yeah. But these guys went in with the idea, I'm going to fight for my country and I'm going to get the do that I should have. Uh, right. the, you know, I, I, the, these men had read the Constitution and said all men are created equal and had gone through. Um, they want to understand what for what was right. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and with the various amendments, they saw, okay, you know, you said I can have it right. now, but you've created some laws and some situations that don't allow for that. But I'm going to stay the course, I'm going to do these things, mm. and I'm going to have what you promised. And uh, so... Were your parents uh, were your parents religious at all? Did you grow up in a... In a yeah, very much. A, my, my dad's family uh, was AME, African Methodist Episcopal. Um, his mom was like the church mother. Uh, the guys, the, you know, my dad and his dad, eh, not so much, but they knew verses, they knew the word. Um, but I think it's just like even today, you see much more, many more women in the church than you do men. Mm -hmm. um, my mom's side, uh, her mom it played the organ in the church. Um, and again, the men, not so much. Uh, participating, but I always had that influence of a of a spiritual piece. Um, Was that through your mother? Uh, from predominantly through my grandmother, my my mom's dad. I mean, I'm sorry, my dad's mom. Um, because we lived with them for the first six years of my life mm. uh, until we bought until we bought <laughs> until my parents bought a home, you know, like three or four blocks away. What was school and what was, uh, like, going through high school and middle school, what was that like for you? Yeah, uh, you, know, you know, I've thought about that quite a bit, uh, thinking about this uh, conversation we we're going to have. I didn't know the pressures or the biases that existed. Mm -hmm. You know, as a young kid, you know, you just play with everybody, and and uh, the innocence of a ch of children. Exactly, exactly. Um, and then as I got into a grammar school, um, you know, you would hear things, you'd see things that it's like, what's going on? Right. Um, you would hear that certain teachers treated people differently, um, and then you'd see it. Um, when I was nine years old, I can still see this picture. And as a matter of fact, the movie's coming out, I think this week, the movie Till, mm -hmm. with Emmett Till. I remember getting 
the uh, Jet magazine, uh, my parents getting it, and showing the pictures of him in his ca casket where he had been beaten and murdered. Uh, and then the guys, all the guys got off. I was nine years old looking at this. Right. Um, and it made me think and wonder, you know, there's something else going on around. And uh, I knew there were certain areas of, of, of the city that, yeah, I could go there if I'm playing ball, but it wasn't an area for me to hang out. Yeah. You know, don't go to the CYO dance over in that area. Uh, don't go into South Boston necessarily. Not even necessarily. Don't, just don't do it. Um, later in life, I felt I could travel in it any, anywhere. But it was always, my head was on a swivel. Right. Um, and I had a reason to be wherever these places were that, that I decided to go. Um, you know, I mentioned them at Till, the bombing of the Birmingham kids, uh, watching uh, uh, schools trying to integrate down south. There was just a lot of stuff that was uncomfortable. And trying to rationalize that um, was it becomes a challenge. Difficult. Yeah, it becomes difficult to understand as a child. It, it because really? you, you don't, you see the effects of, of the decisions of society and what's going on, and for a child to understand that, it's hard. Yeah, and, and for me, my mom is out of New York, very fair-skinned. My dad, brown-skinned, and... Um, he grew up tough. My mom grew up more to the education side. Both of them educated, but as a, maybe as a male, uh, maybe as a black male, he had to grow up a little differently. And uh, the area of Cambridge he came from, and my grandparents initially lived, um, again, predominantly black. And... Um, it had a certain reputation, and, and you know, so here I am, and uh, being, how do I say, L looking at the, the black-white differences, which is really also interesting, let me just throw this in, because at that time, people were talking about, well, I'm French-Canadian, I'm Irish, I'm Polish, I'm the, but then everybody became white. Right. You know, it was like, wait a minute. You know, what, wait, what would happen here? You know, because there would be fractures between those ethnicities. Then everybody became the same. And, and, but it, mm. it still uh, exists. Right. You yeah, know, yeah. to some degree. And, and uh, it's real interesting to, to, to see that. And um, while, being, while a specific ethnicity is being excluded from all the other. Yeah. And 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 there was, there were fractures within our community. You know, my mom being fair skinned, and I I I've looked at my um, ancestry, and I'm thirty percent like Northwest European. You know, this hair didn't come from, you know, the Yorubas. <laughs> so um, there were there were there were. Uh, Words and thoughts cast my way mm. by my folk, my people, you know, about where I lived and about, you know, complexion and hair and so forth. But I think, you know, it, it, it's the nature of man thus far to always find somebody you can look down at. Mm. 
Um, and I've done that too. So I'm, 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 yeah. I think everybody does that. I mean, it happens in my community too, you know, especially, um, being Hispanic, you know, a lot of Hispanics don't like to see other Hispanics succeed. And it's like the crab, you know, we used to make the comment about crabs in a bucket. Right. Crabs don't want to let another crab out. They always grab it. And the, the, one of the things that gets me is it, I've had the opportunity to, and I suspect you have as well, to travel and be in different communities. And it's the same. Hmm. You know, the specific experience that someone might have might differ. But the feelings that are engendered within that and the methods that we use to appease or alleviate or, 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 or um, hide those uh, hurts, the methods are the same. Hmm. They're the same. And we feel the same. So fast forward to your um, high school, college age mm-hmm. years. You made a transition. Did you consider going to school full time and finishing school? <laughs> it was never a doubt Yeah, that I was going to go to college. Yeah. I mean, that was, and, and I think uh, for many families, regardless of race, certainly within the black community, these men coming home from the service, getting the kids are gonna go to to college. Do you think that uh, there was a bigger push then than there is now for young African Americans to go to school? Yeah, you know, you know, I don't, I really can't answer that one way or another. What, one of the things I will say is it it was critical for us to go. I mean, it, there was no doubt, uh, regardless of. The, the, the various communities that I've just spoken about. Um, and, and, and as we, those communities, as we got older, we, we became much more um, closely aligned. But today, <clears throat> I think there is also the awareness that college costs a lot of money. I mean, if you just look at it in terms of economics and what's available, okay, I got an English degree or whatever. What am I going to do with that? When I could be a plumber, mm-hmm. or a carpenter, or more, in the trade, yeah. and, and, and have my own business, and do some things. You know, when integration took place initially, it, it's, 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 it's pretty interesting. One of my uncles, my mom's brother, uh, was, was a physician, a radiologist in, in, in Nashville, both he and his wife doctors. And uh, something that often happened is when highways, because Eisenhower wanted to create the, the highway system. Mm-hmm. And uh, part of that was so if there was ever an invasion, we could have military vehicles go down these interstates. Well, the interstate would always come through a black community, eminent domain, and, and, and rid the community of small businesses. You know, economics is huge in yeah. this republic of ours yeah and uh, he who holds the money holds the communications and so forth so that would happen and 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 you had schools that wouldn't allow blacks to enter and then you had um what was that west texas or el paso in in the ncaa basketball won the the tourney and adolph rope said oh man we'd be some of these at that time we'd be some of these colored boys Mm -hmm. You know, money wins, 
Uh, same kind of thing happened with um, UCLA with Jackie Robinson and, and, and those guys. And um, who was coaching at Bama? Bear Bryant at the time. You know, so those kinds of things happen. And now you get the HBCUs, the historically black colleges and universities, these kids are being called into these other universities mm -hmm. and making money. Now you get name and, 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 and NIL and all that other stuff. But you see some of the HBCUs coming back because there's this diversity. You had the Negro Leagues baseball because folks couldn't play. Right. But they, 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 you know, they would put together all-star teams that can, would compete against some of the white ball players or against each other. The place would be packed. Yeah. Somebody sees the money. Now the Negro Leagues are gone. So all these businesses. Um, gentrification. Yeah, no, gentrification is crazy. Um, while I was in college, there were areas of the south end of Boston you could buy a place for back taxes. I'm in college. All I want to do is party, get high, you know, and do any other kind of wrong thing I could. Um, <laughs> my parents thought I was getting an education. It was not always the right kind. Um, you were learning something. I was learning, and I learned some <laughs> things I never want to ever do again, and thank God I don't have to. Um, but, I, you know, it wasn't about, hey, let's put a bunch of us together and invest a few thousand dollars and buy a block, you know? Yeah. So some of the things when you asked a question about colleges, uh, and, and education, sometimes that education come from other ways. That you go, wait, wait a minute, we can put a couple of dimes together and make so you, this grow. So you get into college, and you just mentioned you you started getting an education, but you also became a party animal there. And uh, yeah, at what point? I know you you and I have had this conversation before, but at what point did did the education? Um, kind of became second place to the addictions and the partying and the alcohol. You know, it's interesting when you, when, 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 to hear you say addictions, at that point in time, I didn't see it as such. Um, I saw that I drank and, you know, everybody was smoking herb and, you know, mescaline and whatever. Um, and there was a certain freedom. I mean, I joke about it. I said everything was burning at the time. You know, cities were burning, draft cards were burning, bras were burning. And uh, <laughs> I wanted to engage. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and it was a frustrating time. I mean, this was, I went into college in 1964. You know, um, people were being murdered. Um, there was a lot going on, and, 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 and it was, a, I think, a desire not to feel that, not to be a part of that. And that had been, you know, I mentioned earlier that regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of where you come from, people have hurts, whether they're perception. Yeah, yeah the, your perception of stuff that's going on. And it became the desire to... You know, just shut that down. And 
unfortunately, my drinking, other people could have a drink and it would be fine. But over time, and, and this is something that's been in my family, um, so there's maybe a genetic predisposition toward this uh, that uh, I couldn't drink, but that didn't stop me from trying. Mm. And that certainly impacted the education. Um, I flunked out after my second year. And I think it was then that I realized how much I really wanted an education. Mm. And, uh, but it took me a little bit to, to, to get that together. Um, and I worked a little more diligently. I'm not going to say I worked hard. You know, I certainly didn't work as hard as I could. I certainly didn't apply myself to the best. Um, but the intention was there. And, and like a lot of people say, you know, it's not, it's not perfection that needs to be worked on. It's the direction of where you're going. Yeah. And little by little, you'll get there. And they say inch by inch, it's just inch. Yeah. You know? And what I did is I learned how to study. I learned how to apply. I learned how to do research. You know, um, it didn't always show in my grades the way I wanted, but I learned the techniques that it provided me um, better opportunities as I grow. And I continue to do that. Mm. You know, and I probably got a lot more days behind me than I got in mm. front of me. Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily hope so, but. So you you go back to school and you finish up. You get an education. Um, what led you to become a, a law enforcement? Join the law enforcement. Um, what happened? I, I came out of college. I had a degree in special education. I taught for two years. It, it kind of interesting in South Boston, mm-hmm. um, the area, <laughs> you know, yeah. and uh, but it was a predominantly um, a black neighborhood. Um, project and, and kids who were out of the public school. Um, I didn't like it. And I just didn't feel I was fit for working with young kids. Excuse me. And um, a guy I used to play flag football with was a probation officer. And he said, hey, you know, some folks are looking. I'd love to put your name in. Okay. And I think at that time, this was 1972, 73, a lot of people were trying, recognizing, hey, wait, there's some disparities in here. There's some inequalities. We need to at least have a face. And, you know, some of those things I said, the features I had, the, the, the education and so forth, allowed me to be uh, available for that. And so I, I went through the application and uh, I became a probation officer. Who were the people you were kind of dealing with at that time? It was mostly petty stuff, um, you know, B&Es, assaults, and, you know, DUIs and things of that nature. I mean, <clears throat> because I was in... <clears throat> Excuse me, I was in district court. Mm. Um, you know, things that uh, were more severe were going up into superior court or, you know, the feds would take right. it. 
Right. Um, so I was working with those folks, and our probation back there was not like these guys out here. Oh yeah. Um, and and it was it was funny because yeah, we, many of the kids that were getting popped. I mean, you grew up with these guys. Yeah. You knew the police. <laughs> you knew the priest. You knew the thieves. It was a community. It was a community. <laughs> you know, I mean, it would be a lot of taking somebody out in the car and wanting to dope slap them. What's wrong with you? Yeah, I think uh, you're right. The, the the law enforcement in every state is different. And in the times when you grew up in law enforcement, way different than it is here. And I think uh, I remember a story you told me that you would go to these bars. Sometimes you would see some of these people that you are supposed to be checking up on and there they are and you just kind of turn the other direction you mind your business i mind my own business yeah what what was it like seeing those people at the bar at that time fine fine it was you know how, how do you maintain I, I guess i should say not you know what was it like but how do you maintain your professionalism at that time being that you're at this bar and you see someone that you're supposed to be checking up on who said I maintained it? <laughs> but you no. were Batman. Oh, you were Batman. <laughs> <laughs> the um, you know, there is a certain like, I don't know if I want to call it culture or understanding, more of a code. <laughs> yeah, and it was like I had respect for a professional thief because that was their job. They prepared for it. They handled their business. They knew that I had a responsibility. And they wouldn't disrespect that. And it was the knuckleheads that were slapping some old lady upside the head and taking a pocketbook. That's why I had a problem. Mm. And I mean, that's a gross generalization. But those folks who, as I said, were professional, it's like, okay, you got popped. This is what the judge said. This is what you have to do. Do it. If you don't do it, this is what I have to do. We understand? Done. Done. You know? And so, <clears throat> at this point, you're still not a, a, a committed or a devout Christian. Um, uh, um, no. No. You you were you what were you struggling with? Um I, I believe that and this is gonna sound horrible, but I was just one of my <laughs> I'm not gonna I almost said it was a gift. I'm judgmental I can be judgmental and critical. Mm. And of of, of and, and for a long time it was of others solely. Um and I would go to church and I would hear stuff preached from the pulpit. But then I would see actions by those, not just in the pulpit, but those in the pews. And I'm like, this don't wash. Mm. You know, this, what's that adage, you know? Never mind. I almost said something wrong. <coughs> um, it doesn't add up. Yeah, it, just yeah, it doesn't add up. Yeah. It doesn't add up. I'm not going for the ish. I'm out of here. Mm. You know, you're telling me something that doesn't work. Uh, but, uh, I'm just out. 
And I might have been looking for an out anyway. Yeah. Because I had read enough of the word to know that some of the stuff I was doing or thinking about doing wasn't cool. You know, and I didn't necessarily want anybody reminding me of that. Hmm. You didn't want that commission or that guilt. Yeah, so I pointed at them as, a, as opposed to pointing at, at myself. Right. And, uh, but again, I always knew it. And I always, not always knew it, but that, that, that spark was always in there. That, you know, when you get touched by that flame, it ain't going out. Hmm. It might get turned down, way down. But, but God's just looking for a place to turn it up. And uh, I, you know, time passed. I took another job, um, and I loved it. And, but I was still drinking. And, and very honestly, I went into the marriage thinking, this will save me. I can be a dad to this kid that was a single mom. I can be a dad to him. I can do these things. If I have these things around me, I can, it will force me to behave in a certain way. Hmm. But that ain't so. Hmm. That's not so. Um, Let's but, backtrack a little bit. You, you were in uh, doing your probation uh, job. Mm-hmm. You are a probation officer. And uh, you mentioned that there were some things going on where you kind of were looking for a promotion and you got overlooked. And it wasn't necessarily that you were overlooked, but because you were drinking, it made you think a certain type of way and you reacted a certain way towards your friend who brought you into that job, which um, caused the hardship. But you... You, yeah, yeah, you're not safe to be around. Um, <laughs> they had, I was a probation officer, and there was um, one of the fellows retired who was an assistant chief, and I applied for it. Um, truth of the matter is, I hadn't made the effort to work. I mean, I, maybe I look at it that way, because I know I could have done better. But... Um, Having said that, someone else got the job. They got the job, I got a resentment. So I'm looking for an exit. And um, being critical, at least in my mind, of the presiding justice, and this is, mm. I think, the piece you're talking about. And um, I got offered another job. And I took it out of resentment. It was, should have. No. I can say I should have never taken it, but I'm glad I took it because it got me out of that. And all these things that have happened in my life got me to where I am today. Right. Um, nevertheless, it was uncomfortable. Um, I was still drinking. I was drinking bad then because I was in a place that, man, I shouldn't be doing this job. I really have no inclination for it. I talked my way into it, and then now, now what am I going to do? Right. And uh, and uh, at the end of it, I, I left. They gave me the opportunity to leave. You know, um, I really the, the the drink had just really hit me, and 
a number of years later when I'd been sober, maybe it was over five years, might have been ten, I, I, I don't recall, that presiding justice, they had an event for him. And I can I can feel it in me right now. Because one of the greatest things is to be able to say, I apologize. And uh, he had my best interests mm. and the best interests of his his court. Right. He didn't demean me. He didn't do anything. He was active. He, he was a, a sober member of, and by sober, I mean he didn't drink, a non-alcoholic member of uh, a recovery board right? And, and so forth. I mean, he knew the deal. And, uh, and it's big for, for a man to, you know, accept his faults and be able to apologize. Um, yeah. You know, for me, it it really becomes a daily deal. Um, I mess up every day. If not physically or verbally in my thinking, I know what goes on in my head. I know the comments that I make, the critical comments. Um, and it's, I can make an amend for that, by going, okay, I see what I'm thinking. I can run it back because I've done the work to see what generated that thought. Now, what do I need to do to correct it, to not let it come out of my mouth, not let it spew out on somebody? I had a situation today. <laughs> In, this, in the pharmacy, some guy, oh, I was getting some cold medicine and uh, allergy medicine. The guy in a muscle shirt walks by and bumps me. I look around, there's, there's a lot of room. Then he kind of walks back and looks at me, and I just look at him. But now I'm mm -hmm. getting old school in my head. <laughs> then he did it again, you know. And I'm thinking baseball, you know, three yeah. strikes, dude. <laughs> you know, so he then comes in front of me and steps in front of me in line. And I just went, "Excuse me," and he went, "Oh, I'm sorry," and stepped behind me. But I let that run in my head for a while, and, j and even just now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, um, I see those things. Today, I have a choice in how I act on those things. Right. How I behave. How I can sometimes yeah. self-correct, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, sometimes I got to kick it with somebody. Like, they talk to you, talk to one of my boys, say, hey, man, this is what was going on. Yeah. And, and my boys are the guys that don't BS me. You know, they're not going to co-sign my BS. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. So, so back to uh, getting married. So you thought marriage was going to help your <sighs> behavior. So unfair to that lady. Yeah. So unfair. I mean, I'm, I'm sure she brought stuff to the table, too. Um, but I certainly had a misconception mm. of what marriage was about. And, um, yeah. 
and, and you know a number of things happened during the course of the marriage that on both both sides that um, were I won't say untenable but they were uncomfortable right and um, I realized that marriage is effort marriage is a commitment and um, and if you're not willing to do that or if you're unable to do it for whatever reasons and 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 I think sometimes our history makes that difficult. You know, we start looking at things in the light of what's happened and and protect ourselves from that. So um, she and I have a, a good relationship today. Uh, our love for our kids, my, my daughter and, and, and my stepson, is is, is there. We, we co-parent. And, be co-parent, forty-five-year-old and the thirty-three-year-old. I mean, <laughs> um, but but we stay aligned. Yeah, you know, and um, and we care for each other. We care for each other. So, what do you think was the biggest, uh, the biggest issue, or the biggest thing that that cost you to not be able to commit? You know, my dad passed when I was fourteen. You know, so man, I you know, I never mm, never had the opportunity to have those kind of conversations with him and see how he thought as a man, um, and how he might have acted or behaved. I, you know, I, I you know I know there were challenges in their relationship. There were cha- I mean, any marriage is going to be, I think, challenges and opportunities to to address those challenges. Um, I didn't have the opportunity to have discussion with him about that. Mm. I'm thankful I grew up in a neighborhood where there were a bunch of men that came around me if I was willing to listen. You know, it was, they weren't going to just jump in and say stuff. But I had guys that, uh, you know, whether they were coaches or or, or, or the, the parents of, of my friends that gave a lot of direction, wisdom. I didn't see it as such as a 14, 15-year-old kid, you know. Yeah, but I think even though that is challenging, you know, uh, not having someone that actually is an example in your own household and being raised by, by a single mom mm-hmm. and whatever came after that. Yeah. You know, the challenges are going to be there regardless. Exactly. You know, and my mom did her best. She absolutely, you know, and, but she's a woman bringing up a boy and trying to make him a man. Yeah. I don't think a woman can make a boy a man. And that, that doesn't take anything away from a woman. Um, I, I don't mean it in that way. There's a different perspective on some things. And I think when God created us for a relationship, it was so those pieces would meld together. Mm-hmm. And um, communication is huge in that. Acknowledgement of what you bring to the table is huge on that. Good and bad, or, 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 or good, and, and, and those, those things that are opportunities to do better. Right. Um, 
and it takes work to acknowledge them for self, for self. Uh, that's, I think if I hadn't been in recovery, I wouldn't have been ever been able to do that. Mm. You know, I had a platform for that. I had a safe space for that. I had a process to do that. I take that. I have a safe space. I have a process because this is a way of life for me. This is work right. that has to be done. And as I mentioned, just today I had that episode with that gentleman. So I use those processes and, and steps to, to, yeah. to work through that. What's my part in this? And then, you know, try to um, try to do the best I can, mm. you know, grow more and more into what he, uh, God would have me to be. What transpires next for you um, in terms of life and now having kids and being divorced? Um, I'm not ready to jump into anything. Um, I see the value. It becomes, I, you know, we hear this so many times and it's not what can they bring to the table. It's what can I bring to the table, you know? And I'm much more conscious, you know, I'm gun shy. I'm mm. very honest, I'm gun shy. Um, I mean, going all, the way, whoops, going all the way back to college, I can remember going out with this woman and first thing she said, because I had a nice car, oh, when can I have to drive this car? And, you know, and people come with a handful of gimme and a mouthful of much obliged, you know? <laughs> I don't need this. I don't need this, yeah. you know, so um, I've found the opportunity if, uh, you know, if I want to go to an event or something, I ask somebody would they like to join me at, at this event. Yeah. So what? So when do you hit rock bottom and you say, man, I need to make a change. Today is the day I get sober. Today is the day I turn my life around. And mm. at what point? did you commit your life fully to following God? Wow. Um, <clears throat> that's interesting. Um, in mid-1987, um, my wife and I were, I mean, we were on the rocks. It was just... By the way, all this timeline of everything that you have just talked about, I wasn't even born. So. Oh, thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> 18, 1988. I'm putting another resentment down on my list. <laughs> um, 1988 is when I got sober. Um, dang, you were less than half my age. <laughs> um, anyway, it mid-1987, it, it was really, it was, it was hurting, and um, the marriage was hurting. Uh, I had taken a new job. I had been there two years. I loved the job. Um, was an up-and-coming company. I ended up retiring for them from them after 28 years. So, let's fast forward on the story. It worked out okay. But I knew my drinking was a problem. Um, I had known it for years. I just couldn't admit it. Um, uh, and you know, because during college everybody was getting high, and, and well, I'm just part of it. I just, uh, you know, I got overpoured one day, just something like yeah. that. But I, I just denied, denied, denied. And 
mid-1987, man, something was stirring in me. In, in inside, not, I mean, you know, I'd had a couple of minor vehicle accidents and, and I really mean minor and, and, you know, uh, you know, calling in sick after, you know, a long weekend, um, arguments with the, the, with the bride and something, but those things could be repaired in a sense that there was something inside that hurt. And I couldn't see a way out of it. Mm. Um, I had my cousin had just received uh, was a pastor, and so was her husband. So her husband's pastoring the church, a huge church, fifteen people. And um, one day, I was out in the park. You know, I was just hitting golf balls and my wife came over to the park she said I'm going to church now we had gone I had gone several times prior um, but on this particular day I had no intention of going but she came to the park and said I'm going to church and it was right around the corner from the house and mm. so I just I said I'll go with you and I went in and um they always had altar call, and I would never go forward. I always wanted to go forward, but I was scared. I, I, you know, was it fear of the positive that could happen, or the fear of leaving the lifestyle that you were leaving behind? I, I think it was the fear. Of knowing what the word said I should be and could be. And not feeling capable of that. Mm. And not wanting to be told, you failed again. You failed again. Because, you know, as, as men growing up, what we often hear what we didn't do. As opposed to being encouraged for what we did do and... And being pushed along, right? Um, and that's what I heard. And that may not have been what was being said, but that's what I heard, right? And um, so, on this particular day, my wife got up and she walked down. And I don't know what happened. I just know I was walking down, and I remember tears and snot. And just accepting Christ. And I tell the story that I, I believed I accepted him as Lord and Savior at that time, but I didn't. It was really a Savior. Save mm -hmm. me. Save me. Get me out of this mess. Um, but I don't think I truly turned my will over to him. Um, because I kept drinking for another nine months or so. And... Uh, I got an opportunity to take a new position in, with this company, and I really wanted this position. And I had promised myself I wouldn't drink. And um, I was in another state at, at, at the time for this team teaching, this interview or, or, or thing. And um, at the time, I was really active physically, so I would, I'd run and so forth. And I went out for a jog 
the night before, and as I came back, I had promised myself I'm not going to drink. And I walked past the bar, and I ordered a bottle of Heineken. Hmm. And I guess I sat there and drank it and stood there, whatever, talking with the barmaid. That might have been part of the problem. And um, then I ordered a cognac. And I don't know if I ordered anything else after that. But the next morning, I was supposed to do this team teach, or this teach, and uh, man, I felt like crap. And I called. And I told the guy, I said, look, man, I must have got some. I, was, I, I went out and I jogged last night. It was rainy, da-da-da. <coughs> you know? And uh, he said, okay. You know, I said, I'll, I'll, I'll come in the afternoon. I'll try to be there in the afternoon. And then no problem. And I went in that afternoon. And um, because I knew I couldn't put it off, but I just also had the feeling that that booze was coming out of my pores. Mm. That was the thinking in my head. That's what I, I said, he's going to know. He's going to tell. And this happened to be an industry where, a transportation industry, if you would. And, you know, that is verboten. And, uh, and nothing happened. I did the teach. I, I, I got the job. But I knew I can't do this anymore. And I made a call to uh, employee assistance, um, went in and said, I think I have a problem with alcohol. Couldn't even say I got a problem with alcohol. <laughs> I think, I think, I just may, you know. <laughs> That's the denial part of it. Oh, my yeah. God. And, um, you know, so, you know, they talk about the steps. That, 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 that night was step zero, you know, that, that, the, the day sure, before. Yeah. yeah. And... Um, so I went in, and this woman had some experience, and she made a suggestion that I would go to a meeting, um, a recovery meeting, before I met her again. And uh, so I got dressed up and put on a three-piece suit <laughs> to go to this meeting. They don't do that anymore. Uh, you know, some places still do. <laughs> some places still do. Um, but I did it because I didn't want anybody to know I was new. And... Um, it happened to be in a high school where I had done Boy Scouts, where I had played basketball, where I had gone to dances. Never knew mm. all this was going on. I walked to the door and um, saw a couple of people I knew, one of the guys I knew, one of my neighbors. Guy came up, um, gave me a book, said welcome. A woman gave me a newcomer chip. I still carry a newcomer chip, and it's been over 34 years. Wow. But uh, you should know that because that's how old you were, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, things started to change. I think then I started, I accepted Christ as Lord. And uh, working this process, there's a step that says, I offer myself to thee to build with me, to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self, because I'm self-centered and selfish. Mm. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them might be a witness to those I would help, of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. And I do thy will always. I say that every day. Mm. Um, I ask the guys I work with to say that with me. 
you know, when we start to work. So, um, it's powerful. Yeah. You know, it's really, I'm saying, I'm a knucklehead. I need you. Yeah. And, you know, search me, know my heart, know my thoughts. Rid of me, whatever's not of you. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that's hard. That is, it's hard work. Um, I know I can't do it alone. So I need my God. I need that Holy Spirit that witnesses into me. And I need the men and women that I've met along the way, you included in this for sure, that allow for a safe space to say this is truly what's going on. You know, not where, hey, how you doing? I'm fine. Mm, did you tell your face? You know, <laughs> you, you know, look, looks like something's going on, man. Yeah. You know, where where people pay enough attention to each other to know, seems like something. I'm going to push this a little bit. Oh yeah. You know, because I care about you, and um, how you really doing? I want to know. And what I think happens for most people, many people, is by verbalizing whatever is going on, we, they, find the answer themselves. True. You know, and it's, I'm not saying do this or do that. You know, and I'm, I don't know what you should do, so I'm not going to shoot on you. But you know, you know better than I. All you're doing is helping them vent and and open Rel up, yeah. Rel relieve the pressure. Right? Yeah. You know, yeah. Relieve the pressure. You know, sometimes you get off the pity pot, you got to flush. Mm. And uh, you know, so so that's the privilege that I've had. People did it for me. People still do it for me, but you know, early on, people did it for me and helped me see things in a different way. Um, Certainly the word did it, but uh, having said that, not but and, there were people that helped me to interpret that in ways that I hadn't interpreted it before. Mm. You know, I, I, I think I, I looked at it so much as a pejorative thing, you know, the finger pointing, you must be, you must do, and if you're not doing this, you're bad, you're wrong but not recognizing how much love God has and, 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 and you know, that, that rod and staff. Right. That rod wasn't to beat me. It was to kind of poke me and push Correct me in a you. different way. Right. Like, dude, you, you're He's stepping a shepherd. Off. He's yeah. A shepherd, you know, shepherd herding sheep, man. You're stepping off the path, man. Yeah, get poke back, you. Get back. Get back. And, and that's, that's awesome. Uh, so when you finally decided to dedicate yourself to this, walk of life now with God what are some of the big major differences that you saw in your life or the transformations that you saw in your life uh, from the time that you started this up until now um, I think one of the biggest things is looking as best I can at my part my responsibility my attitude. Um, regardless of what everybody, anybody else is doing, 
Some things might have a, a certain impact on me. Uh, the gentleman that I mentioned, uh, a couple other things happened over the over the past week that bring back memories of Emmett Till and 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 and, and the hangings and and and, and right. just that's still in me, and my desire to respond to that in an equal fashion is still there. Mm. Uh, my God doesn't call me to do that. So there's something I I, I heard this a, a few weeks ago. It you know pause, but the, 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 someone had the acrostic <laughs> that was postpone action yeah. until serenity emerges. You know it's like okay Charlie stop hold on, breathe. Yeah. You don't need to light somebody up. They may be hurting. Forgiving them doesn't mean you trust them. It doesn't mean you like their behavior. But is escalating this in a, a, a verbally or even physically violent way going to do anything? You know, that word that talks about, um, you know, be nice and pour, pour it's hot coals on them. Yeah. You know? I, I kind of like to see that happen, but um, that might be inside something that they have to deal with. Mm. I, I think that's probably been one of the better things. But it, it, and having said that, it's one of the most challenging things that I do because mm. I don't like it. You know, I know what I'm called to do, but I don't necessarily like it. I mean, it's it's. It's kind of like Paul in Philippians, you know, when he, when he says, hey, to, I want to die now and just go to, you know, heaven with Christ. Mm -hmm. But I know living now on this earth, you guys need my help. And I think it's the same way for us when we've got to deal with these situations. Like, I want to take action now. I want to deal with this now. But I know God has a plan where I can't react that way because he's done that for us. Exactly. And, you know, he didn't have to pay the price on that cross, but he showed his grace and mercy for our sins. And we have to do that daily. And it's difficult. I mean, I go through it all the time. You know, it's just like you said, you just want to light somebody up or say something the wrong way. And it's oh. like, oh, man, like, I don't, I don't want to do that right now. I don't, I don't, want, I, I don't want to have to apologize for it. <laughs> <laughs> and know? it takes a lot. <laughs> it, it really, really does. And then... You know, Satan is so uh, uh, slippery, slimy. He will go, oh, punk. Yeah. Oh, yeah. punk, you, you just jumped on that, you know. You know, man, you know, brother, you know, what's wrong with you? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I was somebody, I know I've heard this many times before, but over the past week or two, a couple of people have mentioned the cross in the sense of that vertical beam is my relationship with God. That horizontal beam is my relationship with right. his people. Yeah. I got to work them both. He did. That picture of him on the cross is evidence of that. Mm -hmm. um, and it's hard. It is hard you know I, I, I can get to the place where man if everybody just would do what i say 
But I know that's not. Yeah. That's not. And, and people hurt. I mentioned it when we first started talking. All these different communities that I've been a part of that I hear men and women expressing the same types of hurts and the same methods of trying to alleviate them mm -hmm. until they came to a place where they talked to God about it. And even in talking with God, it's a daily walk. Mm -hmm. He gave manna for the day. He said, I'll give you enough for the day. You know, I, I'd like some for next month, please, you know, but... <laughs> You know, I can say that and joke about it, but I don't. I don't think I do. Yeah. You know, and maybe somewhere and he, he does. He wouldn't get. He yeah. wouldn't do it anyway. That's yeah. um, like asking for something on Christmas and knowing you ain't getting it. <laughs> but um, I think I've become more and more cognizant and satisfied that he will give me enough for the day, and that part of what I need to do and want to do, I take it back, what I want to do is have my eyes and ears open for those miracles that show up every day, mm. every moment, you know, um, because I can forget them. Yeah. And when I see them, man, I get encouraged. Uh, he did it again. And I think it's twofold because you, you, he'll give you what you need for the day, but also it's a, you know, a way to depend on him. And it's it's how how else are you gonna depend on him? You know, if if he gives you everything, we forget about that. Yeah. Like you said, you want to see those small miracles, those those things happen daily. And uh, I mean, miracles are people say miracles don't happen, and and clearly here you are, you know, after all these years and and uh, walking with Christ, and <clears throat> you actually still attend your recovery program program this is a various <laughs> of them yeah <laughs> but this is what ha has helped you stay accountable oh yeah and and what god has called you to do because now you're also not only attending these programs for yourself but you're also mentoring others and helping others walk that same line and uh guide them in a sense in a know. sense yeah I, I i can say oh I tried that. That's going to hurt. <laughs> you know, again, um, I try not to tell people. I can't tell someone what to do. But I can yeah. I can share my experience, my strength, my hope. Yeah. And, um, you know, I get I get to do that. Yeah. I get to do that. And it's because somebody did it for me. Yeah. It would be so selfish and inconsiderate for me to have this gift and not give it to somebody. Mm. Not, you know, when we look at the steps, the 12th step says, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to practice these principles in all our affairs. So it's not just in those rooms of recovery. Mm. It's everywhere because people in the grocery line are hurting so many people hurt and have found ways again to try to minimize that um it could be drink but 
you know, some of the places that, that, that I've been around, one in three of the people might have a problem with drugs or alcohol, but others have problems with codependency, pornography. Uh, Stuff that may be stemming from their childhood, a relationship, their, their relationships with others, and you're there to kind of be a, a mentor. I'm there to stay clean and sober. If somebody happens to come by, okay, you know, but I'm there for me and and for the new guy. Yeah, you know, I I definitely want to be helpful in that way. Um, you know, one of the major, <clears throat> if not the major, uh, recovery group in the world says, if I'm not mistaken, they might address ten percent of the alcoholics. Mm. That means 90% of the people are still out there. Yeah. And that's just alcohol. That's not all the other stuff. Everybody still has to go through life and all those things that life puts on us. And the generational factors in that. So many guys, again, I've spoken to have had the thing, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Don't take that stuff outside the house. You don't talk to anybody about that. Stop crying. I'll give you something to cry about. Irish, Polish, black, Italian, French. They've all, these different Jewish, they've all said the same thing. Mm -hmm. So they're all hurting and trying to find ways of doing it. But to find a safe place to share something that you've been told don't ever share. I've been fortunate to find it. I found it in a couple of spaces, and I have a responsibility, along with others, to keep those spaces safe and available. It's and that is huge, you know, um, because it is true. A lot of the times, these curses, the gener generational curses, carry on because of exactly that. You cannot share, you cannot talk about it. So you hold it in, and it just gets passed down to generation to generation. So, Charles, what, what would you say to someone that may be struggling in the similar uh, way that you did um, in your past life? First, I think I'd, I'd ask them, do you want to change? Do you want to change? Because if somebody has the willingness, there's an opportunity. There's a, there's a door of opportunity right there. And... Um, and then I would make the suggestion, let them know where I'm coming from, what I've experienced, and ask, hey, would you like to give this a shot? You know? And how would you encourage someone that is on that direction of one, recovery, to walking with Christ, that may be facing some of the same issues that you're currently facing in your daily walk on how to stay accountable, how to be dependent on God, how to do these things the right way? You, you know, that's, that, that's an interesting question uh, because I've encountered <clears throat> a number of people who were on the same path that I was at, uh, you know, with, with, with alcohol, but had a reluctance to trust God. They say they don't believe in God, but the truth of the matter, in my estimation, is they believe in God but it's a misinterpretation. Mm. 
You know, I have a misunderstanding. I don't have an understanding of God. I have a misunderstanding of God. Um, I would try to determine that, where that person is on their walk. And if they are not on a path with God and they're having a problem with alcohol, I'm just going to ask them to come along because they will find him. They will find him. And it might not look to me the way it looks. I mean, I sit in some rooms and I hear people talk about some understandings that I just don't resonate with me. Right. However, I, I, I often think that they're talking about, that, oh, that's where they meet God. You know, oh, I, 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 my, my higher power is the ocean. My higher power is the woods. <laughs> I, I, I think sometimes that's where they meet right. the higher power. Yeah. And, and maybe there's a, but that, again, that's my interpretation. I don't know what's going on in their head. Right. But if they have a problem with alcohol, I want to see them get sober first. Because I believe and I, in the process, they're going to meet that power. And they're going to hear it from me. Right. They're, they're going to hear it from me. I'm not going to beat them with it. You know, I'm not in a, I'm not coming knocking at your door, passing oh, out yeah. tracks. But I am going to tell you my experience. You, you can't take that away from me. Oh, no, for sure. So, you know, we had an adage, and one of the things is, if you want what I want, you do what I do. Mm. You want what I have, you can do what I do. But, but everyone has to find their own path mm. to, to that power. Um, you know, I, 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 I do another recovery piece where it's uh, everybody speaks to Christ. Yet we welcome everybody in there, even if they don't mm. come to find them. Just to be willing. And, and, and sometimes the, the willingness is, um, I, I don't want to feel this way anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. So give them some practical steps. Give them a safe place to talk about it. And then give them some work to do. Because all of us have work to do. We work this stuff. We're told in the Bible, we pick up our cross daily. Daily. And that's that's not a bad thing. It's it's just, it, this thing doing is a process. It's doing the work. It's doing the work. Exactly. What is a verse that carried you through your recovery process and your walk with, with, God, with God right now? My aunt used to have on her answer machine, and I loved it. I could still hear her voice. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. And along with that, I'll have, search me, O God, and know my heart. Mm -hmm. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So those two sit real strong as a foundation. And in Ephesians 2.10, says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus beforehand to do the works that he created for us to do. So what will sometimes happen to me to kind of go back to the stuff, the challenges is search me, know my anxious thoughts. You created work for me. Hmm. Okay. I see them. You see them. Be with me while I try to do them. You know, um... I was, I was listening to somebody this morning. You might have known Father Michael Judge. You ever heard of him? And um, Father Michael was the first responder that died in the in the in 9/11. And I think his prayer is, "Lord, 
take me where you want me to go. Let me speak to who you want me to speak to. And don't let me get in your way. Something mm-hmm. to that effect. You know, it's just the willingness. Right. Not ju- I, I take that. I, we often use the word, and I do it, just. You know, it's the willingness. It's like you hear somebody who's sober. I'd say, well, I got, I got over 34 years. And somebody goes, oh, I just have a year. No, you got a year. No, you got 24 hours. You remember when you didn't have 10 minutes? It's not just. Yeah. It's not just. <laughs> you know, and uh, I, I want to remember that. That is huge. I think uh, we sometimes can interfere in what God wants to do. And it happens all the time. I really do appreciate your story. And and, and um, I look forward to what God is going to be doing with you and through you in the years to come. Simply in the, in the fact that, one, your recovery and how that all happened. And then how God has worked in your life and has remained faithful. Uh, yeah, even when I stumble, he remains faithful. Yeah. <laughs> Is there any anything else you would want to share or say? No, I want to thank you for being so persistent um, and making me so comfortable here. Um, I very much was surprised at what came out of my mouth. <laughs> um, and if this does impact somebody... It, it impacted me, mm. you know. It got me an opportunity to, to remember some things that I've done, um, you know, some of the hiccups and speed bumps I've hit on the road, um, some of the people that I mistreated, and have had an opportunity to, to make amends, change behavior. Um, so, not necessarily comfortable, but necessary, mm. you know. And uh, that safe space that I talked about. You created it here. Um, I'm glad that was able to happen tonight. And uh, He's good that way. <laughs> Spent a lot of time going, how did you do that, God? <laughs> how did you do that? To everyone listening, I thank you guys for listening. Uh, don't forget to like, share this episode, and follow.